You know, the thing about the gospel, to be good news, it has to invade dark spaces. And so it doesn't surprise me when the world around me gets dark. And as I look at that, I'm like, man, this is an even better opportunity for the gospel. And so we're going to read this morning, and starting verse 25, and we're going to look at how the gospel penetrates sometimes the most dark, the worst scenarios that we can go through. And so a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And in verse 25, And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and had suffered much under many physicians. And she had spent all that she had and was no better but grew worse. She had heard the report about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said unto him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. It is life. It brings life. It produces life in us. And it goes forward and does that which you have purposed it to do. And so I pray this morning, would your word go forth in our hearts and do that which you've intended? Would it invade in our hearts? Would it be like a seed planted that would grow forth into a strong tree, that would grow forth in a huge flourish of faith and fruits in our life? And God, I just ask that you would anoint me this morning, God, that I would speak not my words, not my ideas, but that your truth would be conveyed through this humble vessel. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So just to kind of give you a recap, if you remember the last time I preached, I talked about the madman in the first part of Mark chapter 1 and that how Jesus restores this broken path, that he steps into a scenario where no man could bring the answer. No one could remedy the situation. This man was mad beyond himself. And here comes Jesus. He brings life and restoration to this broken pathway. Not only the pathways of this old man's life, but the pathway to the city of which this man was from. And then we see that, that Jesus, the Mark focuses on these pigs a little bit. These pigs that get filled with these demons and run off a cliff. And sometimes we look at those and wonder, like, well, it's odd that these pigs would be in the gospel. But I cannot submit to you that Mark would put these in there to show to us, because Jesus wanted to show to this man that when Jesus does a work, it's definitive, that it's verifiable, that no one can question his work. Because the testimony of what Jesus had done was evident in the pigs. Now catch this. When Jesus does a work, the evidence of it's real, amen? Now the enemy's always coming behind that and trying to, to say, oh, well, you know, that wasn't true, that wasn't real. But we always have that moment we can lean back to that says, oh, but it was real. It was true. It was Jesus, and he did a work in me. And so here now we see another story of a woman in a hopeless condition. In verse 25, it says, there was a woman who had a physical condition for 12 
years. She had suffered much under physicians. She had spent all that she had, and she was no better off. In fact, she grew worse. We see another scenario where man could not fix her condition. In fact, everything that man did made it worse for her, for this woman. Not only was she physically enabled, she was financially burdened. Not only was she just financially burdened, but now her stress level has gone up. Why? Because her situation's gotten worse and more dire and further on. And on top of that, this woman in her condition was not allowed to interact with community. She was outcast. She was set aside. She couldn't go into the temple. She couldn't share a bed with her husband. She had to be distanced from her children. There was things in her life now that became barriers, that became more and more and more barriers until this woman is a total outcast in every form of society. And the effort of man only separates her further from God. We are born hopeless before God. How that we are separated from God because of our uncleanliness. How we're separated from the people of God because of the sin work in our life. How that we become permanent outcast. You know, if we think about this, this is not only a beginning genesis that every one of us meet, but this affects us deeply, right? I mean, think about it. Back when you were in junior high school, right? Some of y'all are like, I can't think back that far, right? <laughs> Just think about it. Just a little bit. Life was a whole lot simpler until it came time for dodgeball, right? <laughs> so you're like, oh, yeah. The memories are already flooding back. Now, you might be in here and you were that guy who was the mean guy who loved dodgeball, right? You just got to pounce people. But for most everybody else, this was a high anxiety moment, right? <laughs> because no one wanted to be the last one picked, right? Nobody wanted to be the last person standing up there by themselves going, um, yeah, come on. Like, you don't even get a name at that point, right? You're just like, yeah, come on. I mean, the anxiety level's way up here. And if you're a guy, the anxiety level's pretty high because, you know, you never want to get pegged out by a girl, right? Some of y'all were okay with that. Okay. I didn't. I was like, no, I, I cannot be beat by a girl, right? And then if you're a girl, the anxiety is really high because you do not want to be hit in the face. I mean, of all places, anywhere is fine, but not the face, right? And then God forbid you cry because it hurts, right? It stings your face. And then even worse if the guy you like did it to you, right? I mean, the anxiety just mounts and mounts and mounts. Like, this is life. And the only thing more anxiety-filled than dodgeball may be a Sadie Hawkins dance, right? <laughs> Apparently, y'all didn't do Sadie Hawkins. So good. Y'all didn't feel that. You know, the, the kids now, they have re-termed this FOMO, right? You've heard this fear of missing out. Like, this is a, like, now a scientifically, psychologically verified condition that people are afraid of being left out. You see, many in church have lost their sense of self-worth. May I submit to you that there's many that would sit in even this room today that would feel like the last man picked on a dodgeball team. It would feel like they're sitting on the sidelines watching a game happen, but not asked to get in. The enemy is going to tell you to give up. The enemy is going to tell you that you're done. The enemy is going to tell you you're worthless. The enemy is going to throw your past at you to tell you that disqualifies you from the work of God in your life. But as we sang today, that in weakness, he is made strong. 
in the fact that we don't have it all together is a beautiful thing. You know why? Because it's room and space for Jesus to move in our life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after me, for they shall be satisfied. Isn't that what he says in Matthew? But I think a lot of people in church are sitting on the sidelines right now. And in verse 27, we read this, that she had heard the reports about Jesus and she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. I love this. There was something that happened inside this woman when she heard about Jesus. Let the word of God be louder than whatever it is going on in your life. Whatever circumstance, whatever situation, whatever weakness, whatever frailty, whatever anxiety, whatever fear, whatever apprehension, whatever that's keeping you back, let the word of God be louder than anything else. And in this woman's life, the word about Jesus was louder than her condition. The word about Jesus was louder than her finances. The word of Jesus, the word about Jesus was louder than her condition, than her being outcast. She didn't wait for Jesus to come to her. I, I love this in this story. In Zacchaeus, we see Zacchaeus climbs up a tree and he's, and he's, he's thinking he's just going to get a glimpse of God. But yet Jesus walks right up to Zacchaeus, right, and calls him by his name. And here is a woman who, she's not waiting for Jesus to come by her and fix her condition. She doesn't need to wait. She's going to press in. She's going to push through the crowd. She's going to push in. How many times do we forget that he would like us to pursue him as a child? That we would come in the faith of a child. We would come in the expectation of a child. We would come in the excitement of a child. We would come with the joy of a child. Like to set aside the things of earth, the things of life that would weigh us down, that would crush us, that would become barriers that would create this anxiety, that would create this angst in us, that would create this frustration in us, that would create all these other levels and come as children to the feet of Jesus with expectancy, with hope, with delight. You see, the invitation has already been given. And this is how we can chase after Jesus. The invitation has been given. He says, come, come unto me. If you're thirsty, if you're hungry, if, if you're longing, if you're needing, come unto me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Let's, let's attach together. Come unto me. The invitation has been given, church. You see, the testimony of Jesus birthed faith in the most desolate place. I like to say this, the gospel demands a response. Like, when the gospel goes forth, it demands a response out of us. But you see, the gospel demands something of us. There is a work that Christ has prepared for us. There is a work that he has called us into. And for we are his workmanship. We're the raw materials. Some of you guys you've built before, you understand like if you build a house, there's materials that you use, you put together, that you tie them together to build something. Like we are those raw materials. He has built us together. He has linked us together. Paul would use the terminology of a body, like many parts to a body. But there are many in the church who are sitting on the sidelines. You see, the other part of this woman's testimony is that someone had to tell her about Jesus. I mean, the, it's plain. She heard the reports about Jesus. That's what Mark says. She heard. 
for her to hear someone had to tell her about Jesus. So here's this woman in her frail condition, in her beat-down condition. Here's the woman who's worried. Here's the woman who's carrying the weight of the world upon her shoulders, and someone goes, have you heard about Jesus? Have you heard about Jesus? Have you heard about Jesus? That we would always long in our hearts to hear the stories of grace in other people's lives. That's my prayer. I think about that every morning when I wake up. Is today a day that I get to hear about the grace of Jesus in someone else's life? Oh, that we would long for that. You see, this is the, go the gospel story. Our telling of the marvelous mysteries of Christ. And this will birth faith in others. I like to say this, I, we are the parables. Like, you're the parable. Colossians 4, Paul exhorts us in this. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Who are the outsiders? Those who aren't in the body of Christ, right? We're to walk in wisdom with them, making the best use of our time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, I'm going to tell you, sometimes this is hard, right? But sometimes I just, I just look at people and I just I, I shake my head. I don't know what to say. And then sometimes there's a level of frustration that rises in me, right? And I, I just want to give it back to them. Like, like, if I can just say this and straighten you out. Like, let me straighten you out. But Paul exhorts us that we would walk with wisdom to people. That we would know what to say. That our speech would be gracious, seasoned with salt. So that we could give the right answer. I don't believe Paul would write this unless Paul believed that we could walk in this. And I don't believe Paul would write this if Paul didn't believe that the Holy Spirit could lead us into this. And so in this, I would say this. We need to make a conscious effort. Like, this should be something that we're intentional about, right? It's hard. I can't tell you. I get on the phone. With, you start having problems with your cell phone or your cable. You get on the phone with that person. And they're like, well, have you turned it off and turned it back on? I'm like... I'm calling you, right? <laughs> have I re-powered the thing? Yeah, yes, I have. Have you checked the cable? Yes, I've checked the cable. And this series, can you put somebody on the phone who can help me? Like, <laughs> like nobody else does that. Okay, it's just me. All right. Yes, okay, all right. There's a couple of amens. But. but then we have to be intentional, right? To be prayerful, to be ready. And I would submit to this. When was the last time you asked God to give you an opportunity? When was the last time you woke up or you had a day or you were headed to the store and you said, God, I, would you give me an opportunity to share your good news today? Would you give me the opportunity to tell someone of your goodness, of your mercy, to be able to share my story? Paul asked us to make the most of every opportunity to be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not to put them down or to cut them out. Has your story birthed faith in others? You know, there was a, I remember um, right after me and Brooke got married, um, we, we lived in a small apartment. I say small, it was small. And it was even smaller because I'd moved from a house that was bigger, had full house furniture. And we moved into this apartment and have all this furniture and so our living room was a storage room. I mean, you couldn't even get in there. It was so full of stuff. And we were 
sequestered to two rooms of the house, basically. It's a small apartment. And um, it's one of those things when you're young and married and like you have all these struggles. Anybody had like crazy struggles when you're young and married? I look at these young people now and I'm going, I hope your first years are tough. <laughs> because I'm like, you need some tough years because you, you need that to gel you together. You need those moments where everything's not beautiful, where you have to look at each other and go, okay, we're all we got. We're going to do this. There's no money in the checking account. Yeah, everything's dismal. And so there was a guy across the street and I just, I was like, I'm going to witness to this dude. And I was trying to take every opportunity. And um, this guy collected Hot Wheels. That was his thing. Uh, And so I remembered like I had a few Hot Wheels from a kid, from being a kid, right? So I went and I'm digging through my stuff. I pull them out. I go give them to the dude. The dude's like so excited. I give him these little Hot Wheels. They were all beat up, you know, from me being a kid, banging them together, right? So it, it didn't matter. I gave them to him. He was excited. And so I had built this rapport with my neighbor. And I remember one day, um, me and my wife were sitting in our living room. And so literally the couch sat against the wall. To sit on the couch, you had to put your feet on the coffee table because there was no space between the coffee table and the couch. And then the TV sat right on the other side of that. So the TV was like right here in your face, just the coffee table away from us. And so we're sitting there watching TV and I get this knock on the door. And um, so I, I go up and I, I, I go open the door and my neighbor's standing there and he just goes, dude, where's your truck? Like with the most dramatic expression he could think of. And I'm like, it's right there. Kind of back at him, right? He's, cause he's so dramatic. And I look and my truck's not there. <laughs> I'm like, well, I don't know where my truck is. He's like, dude, it's in a tree beside my house. <laughs> and I'm like, What? So I walk out. He's like, yeah, this dude, I heard this, your, your truck hit this tree and it was so loud. I come running out and this guy's running off. So apparently some guy had stolen my truck out of my driveway. He tried to roll it down a hill, pop the clutch and totaled it into a tree. And so I'm like, oh, wow, that's nice. And so, um, you know, I'm just like, I don't know what we're going to do. So we you know, call the cops. They come write the report. And I remember this dude looking at me and he's just like, why are you so calm? Like, that was his question to me. Like, why are you so calm? He's like, man, I would be so freaked out. He goes, I'm like more worried about this than you are. And it hit me like, wow, this is the moment. Like, this is my moment. And it was the coolest opportunity because I got to share the gospel with my neighbor. Because I had been asking for God to give me moments. I had been praying, God, would you give me the opportunity to share the gospel with my neighbor? Because he didn't go to church. He didn't, have, he didn't grow up knowing Christ. He didn't grow up knowing about Jesus. And so at that moment, because the Holy Spirit had given me peace in a tough situation, I could look at this guy and go, oh, let me tell you about Jesus. And I got to witness to my neighbor. Now, there, there wasn't this awesome, we bow down on knees and say the sinner's prayer. No, it, it, it wasn't that. I didn't get a moment to, to finalize the gospel in his heart, but that's, that's up to Jesus, right? Yep. We're sowing seeds. We're being faithful with our story. We're being faithful with what Jesus is doing. Make the most of every opportunity. Has your story birthed faith in others? You see, because faith pleases God. It's connected to his work. Faith is connected to the work of God. 
In verse 29, we see this. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. You see, this woman had taken a risk of faith. Hebrews eleven six tells us that without faith it's impossible to please God. For apart from faith, and whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Like, there's, faith isn't just an idea. Faith is something we step out in, right? It, it's something that puts life into our step. It puts action into what we believe. Apart from faith, it's impossible to please God. Anyone who wants to come close to God has to believe that he exists and that he cares enough to respond. You know, I grew up often with this if-then thinking about faith. I I don't know if anybody else has ever had that. Like, if I did this, then God will do this. And then when I was young in high school, I remember that somehow I believed that if I would go do X, Y, Z, then God was mandated to do X, Y, Z, right? He is not this one-armed bandit. He's not a genie in a bottle. We don't bring him our laundry list of things we want done, and then he does those because we do X, Y, Z. You see, faith isn't what gets God to move. Faith is what gets us on movement with God. Faith isn't what moves the hand of God. Faith is what moves us in the hand of God. You see, the work of Christ in your life is connected to your faith and your confession. When we come to to Christ as this child and this expectancy, when was the last time we came before our Heavenly Father with a, Papa, what's next? Expectancy that God would do something. You see, the work of God is connected to our faith and it's connected to our confession. We see in verse 33 that this woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. I remember one time I was in this, um, I was in college and I had collected this large collection of albums, LPs, right? Some of y'all know what that is. Some of you have no clue what I'm talking about. Vinyl, right? Nobody know what vinyl is? Some of y'all. And I had collected this mass collection of vinyls, and I had some pretty cool ones in there, I thought. I mean, some original Beatles and some Michael Jackson and um, Mamas and the Papas, the Creedence Clearwater Revival. You know, I had collected some what I thought was pretty cool by going to flea markets and um, yard sales and thrift stores and kind of digging through what they had. And I had a little pride in what I had collected. And I remember sitting in this, um, this, this uh, it was a church service, and the guy was preaching, I don't know what he was preaching about. But the whole time, God just like convicted me about this collection of records. And, like, and I'm just kind of feel like this burning inside of me. And I'm like, so God, what do you mean to do? He's like, I want you to get rid of them. Okay, I'll, I'll sell them, God. He's like, no, no, I want you to get rid of them. But like, God, but these are like worth a lot of money. Like people want these. He goes, no, I want you to get rid of them. And I remember having this, wrestling match with God, the whole time burning, feeling this like burning sensation that God is calling me to do something. Now, I don't believe inherently that your music's going to send you to hell. I, I believe it can distract you from what God wants to do in your life. 
And that may ultimately lead you to hell. But this was more so to do with my pride than my choice in music. It had more so to do with me amassing this collection and not focusing on what God had called me to. It had more to me to do with my hobbies and my interest outside of the gospel than what God wanted to do in my heart. And so here I sit at a moment where God's going, I want to do something in you, but this is in the way. What are you going to do about it? And I think there's a lot of people who sit in church week after week after week, and there's times that you feel the message burning in your heart. I know if you sit under Pastor John, you've had those moments. Um, I remember early on the years I sat under your teaching, and I, every sermon you read my mail, I was very frustrated. <laughs> I was just like, Brooke, are you talking to Pastor John about me? <laughs> like, why? He's talking to me. So many times he, he would preach and God would just say, yeah, that's, that, I want to do this in you. I want to break that in you. And I see so many times that there's, there's Christians who are sitting on the sidelines when God's saying, get in the game. You felt that burning in your heart and you said, I, I, I'll deal with it later. You see, she stepped up in fear and trembling. She knelt before the God and she gave him the whole story. There's a work of Christ in our life that comes with our confession. I don't understand it. I don't get it. But there's a freedom that happens when you kneel before the Lord and you confess. When you lay it into the open. Yeah, this is my situation. This is my scenario. This is what's going on, God. And I'm going to lay it at your feet because I know you can do something about it. I know you care about it. I know you care about me. You see, the way in which her faith has made her whole is very apparent. In this illustration, this manner in which her faith saves her from sin, it causes her to force her way through the crowd until she could touch the garment of whom it is that she's seeking deliverance. You see, if she had stopped short of this, her faith would have not made her whole. Some of you have been pressing and pressing and pressing through and you've not made it and you've given up. Some of you, you've gotten to the crowd and it's just too much and you've given up. But she kept pushing. This woman who's weak in her body, this woman who doesn't have the strength to press through a crowd, is pressing through a crowd because she knows if she touches his garment, she's made whole. Had she stopped short, she would have not have been whole. It's not alone enough just to believe that Jesus is who he said he is. But there's an action that's connected to that belief. There's a step forward in which we make. There's a leading of which we surrender to. And this leading oftentimes brings us through the pangs of sorrow, through deep resolves of repentance, to public confession, and to a baptism into the name of Jesus. And thus brings about the appointed way in which Jesus saves those he saves. I love this story for two reasons. This story is an example to the person in a desperate situation that the gospel is the solution. The gospel, Jesus saves. 
The story of Jesus saves. The story of Jesus restores. The story of Jesus renews. But it's also a story for believers. But believers who need to press through, who need to push through, who need to set aside, who need to dig for resolve. You see, Jesus restores value. He comes into the most desperate situation and he restores value. The greatest need that this woman had was not her physical condition. But catch this, when Jesus turns and he looks at her, he sums everything up in one word. Daughter. Daughter. This woman who had been outcast, this woman who had been separated, this woman who had lost everything. He looks and says, daughter your faith your childlike faith the way in which you simply come you've chased after me you've longed for me you didn't let the crowd stop you you didn't let your circumstance stop you you weren't defined by your circumstance but by the word of God and you've come and he says daughter I can only imagine what happened in her heart at those words A woman for 12 years had not been able to worship. A woman for 12 years who had not been able to go into the tabernacle. A woman for 12 years who was not just separated from the people of God, but from God. And the Son of God looks and says, daughter. And to us today, he looks and says, son, daughter. Son, daughter. Your faith has made you whole. 